Hello and welcome to another episode of DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, in case you forgot for whatever reason. And tonight, I'm going to sit down with a good friend of mine, and that friend is Dewey Halpas of the Peer Pleasure Podcast. Absolutely always an honor to talk to Dewey, and tonight we're going to talk about an album that I'm super confused by, that he loves, and has a lot of cool info on so Dewey's going to help me for the next hour try to figure out this record and try to wrap my mind around it. And of course, as you saw, we are talking about Deloused in the Comatorium by the Mars Volta. Let's get into it. Did you have a good week? I did. It was, it was a decent week. Yeah, we had a lot of work. A lot of podcasts, a lot of uh, nice weather, and uh, yeah, it went it went pretty well actually. The week went better than the weekend. The weekends more difficult. Oh, really? That's yeah. a bummer. Just being at home, like the the kids and everything, it's just a it's a lot more chaos. Like I babysit adults for a living at work in construction, so as a foreman, I can it, it's babysitting, but it's different. They are a little older, um, right? And when I'm actually babysitting, well, you don't babysit your own kids. When I'm with my own kids, it's it's more chaos. I'm sure, and you can't uh, you can't actually be as as harsh with your own kids as you could be with uh, adults. Correct. Yeah, you can't lay off your kids. <laughs> you know what though? At least their at least their behavior is like justifiably childlike. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, mm-hmm. um, I definitely I definitely get that feeling at work sometimes where I'm like sort of looking around because I hate being at work. I hate it. I, I literally be rather doing anything else, which I know is probably how everyone feels about work. But my approach is like get into work, bust my ass, do as much as I possibly can in order to be able to go do the fun thing that I, you know that I want to go do. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just weird to me how many actual living, breathing adults do not have that same mindset. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's wild, man. It's wild. I, I, uh, yeah. I don't mind it as much being at work, but it definitely, you know, has its time and place. There's days I enjoy it and days I can't stand it. Yeah, you know, I feel that. If I fuck something up huge, like it costs, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, oh, that's a little, that's a little dicey, but yeah. Yeah, one wrong valve opening during uh, uh, rough in could cause, you know, 20 grand in damage in two hours, you know. People think plumbing, they think fixing your toilet or fixing your, you know, hose bib or something in your house, but it's commercial plumbing is literally, you know, you're, you're putting in stuff at 300 PSI pressure, uh, main lines going up 36 stories that could, uh, kill people. Yeah. So, uh, it's a little different. And when you're foreman over that, it's, uh, then it's your responsibility to make sure it's done right and doesn't kill anybody. And so that part is both fun and terrifying, uh, you know. (laughs) I kind of wish sometimes I had a job I could just kind of show up and just be there, and it's all sure. <laughs> Instead of having to, you know, uh, deal with all that stuff. But I feel like I'm somewhere in between you and that. Uh, in that, like, I do kind of just have to show up and do my work. But if I screw something up, I could kill someone. You know, mm-hmm. like so. There's that little tiny bit of stress. You know, yeah. that that dictates every decision that you make. And if you ever decide you want to cut corners maybe you just shouldn't 
You know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you don't get enough sleep the night before. You can't just really roll in and kind of just make it happen. It's uh, a little more important than that when you get to that that's that level of things. So, uh, for sure, still coming to grips with that, but it's it's working out well so far. We'll see. Give it time. Right. All right. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> if you change your employment status on social media to full time podcaster, you know we'll <laughs> we'll know. Yeah. Speaking of sleep. Tonight we're talking about deloused in the comatorium, which is what I used to refer to being pass out drunk on my couch that's behind me, just because this record has always had a very interesting relationship with me and sleeping. And it's weird because it's not like it's some slow, subdued record, right? It's not some kind of like, it's something that you that you really, if you want to get the maximum amount of enjoyment out of it, you need to actually be awake and pay attention to. But for whatever reason, every time I listen to this record, I fall asleep. And that is not because I think that it's boring, but it's like there's something about Cedric Bixler's voice that soothes me to sleep, even whenever he's like singing very, very, very loudly. <laughs> <laughs> I am interested to see why you chose this record and what it means to you. Well, this record came through at a really weird time like everything was changing we'd gotten signed as anatomy of a ghost and put out our first record and started touring and we got picked up we got signed by rise records and then before the record came out we got bought by fearless records they bought the okay. record um and so we're like holy shit fearless records at the drive-in awesome we never got to see at the drive-in um ever like we were in alaska until they broke up so when we discovered at the drive-in, that was a whole nother situation. But basically, we got on Fearless Records. They were no longer a band, so we just had access to all this merch and stuff that was awesome. We had that hole in our soul for for at the drive-in, and and um, we had been home from tour. At the drive-in had come, or excuse me, uh, Mars Volta had come through and and played at the Meow Meow, which is a club here in Portland for I don't know 25, 30 people, and we went to it. And it was one of the most insane things I've ever seen. And it was, it was, uh, Eva Gardner was still playing bass. John Theodore was still playing drums, of course. Well, still, it was their first tour. And you're seeing these guys that you watched on, on TV and you watched on, uh, in magazines and all that stuff. And it was, it was just crazy to see them in such a small room. And I was handed the, basically the burned CDR. This, this whole story has to do with CDRs, but a burned CDR from Omar in just a plain brown case like a, a paper case so we used to spray paint and stuff for demos so he gives me that and then he draws a clock on it with dick and balls for hands on the <laughs> clock and wrote time to rock nice and that is how i got the tremulant ep it was a cdr from omar at one of their first shows which was awesome so i'd kind of like kind of got to see what it was like watching those guys live then fast forward we get signed we go on tour we get past this CDR. I don't remember where we got it, but this CDR did not leave our van. It was d in the Comatorium, but it was a early leak that had no guitar effects on it. Oh. It was literally the rough tracks, like the stems, vocals, keys, all that stuff, bass, uh, all that stuff, just none of the stuff that Jeremy Ward was doing to it. This also happened with Fiona Apple on Extraordinary, Extraordinary Machine, where it got released early and she was pissed because it wasn't the finished product, but it was better than the actual finished product. Like, I think they ruined that record with the rest they did to it. Anyways, we 
destroyed that CDR listening to it every single day. And we thought it was the greatest thing ever. And we had no idea that it didn't have everything on it. So even without all those effects, that record was mind-blowing. We literally had it in the van. You could have glued it in there. It it was on every day for a whole tour. We were touring with This Day Forward, Bear vs. Shark. Um, oh, man, there's one more band I don't remember. But then we would pass it around a little bit. Like when we were stopped, we'd like, okay, you guys can listen to it. Or you come ride in our van and listen to this. You know, right. it's not out yet. Anyways, it took over that whole tour. It was incredible. And it took us to another another realm because we weren't super versed in music. So I don't think it's super, I don't think it's a super original record. I think back then we thought it was because we hadn't heard any of those other styles of music. But I think it's a perfect conglomeration of all those influences. So at the time it was life-changing. It was, it was like, what is this music? But over time, sitting with the record and then going and finding some of these influences that they had, listening to it, it's like, damn, like they really captured this. But then you realize it's not as like original and and as you thought. So sure, yeah. That's why I wanted to discuss it because it came at a really cool time in life. Everything was on the rise. We got an early version and adopted that. Then got the real version and we're like, holy shit, this is a whole new record. Got to live with that. But we also, in a hasty decision, traded that CDR to the drummer for Bear vs. Shark for I don't know what the deal was for. Oh. But he's like, I need that CDR. I'll give you this, 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 and this. And at the time, we were hungry and starving <laughs> and poor. And we traded it to him. And I've never heard it again. Oh, no. So I'll have to hit him. His name is Brandon. And uh, I'll hit him up. I should have done it before the CD still had it. They could like give me a copy of it or something. But... Uh, hearing something completely stripped and then hearing it completely colored was a really cool experience because I got to sit with both for a very long time. So uh, the records kick ass, but it also opened my eyes to a whole lot of kinds of music I never even experienced. So um, it's like the gift that keeps on giving kind of thing. That's interesting because I'm just imagining you guys out on tour, like telling people about this CD. You know, and like acting like you've got, you know, you got to come in the van and listen. Like you guys have like the Ark of the Covenant in the van, mm -hmm. you know, and, mm -hmm. and you, you know, you're, you guys are almost, almost in a way, you probably weren't selling tickets, but like selling tickets, like listen to this, you know, Mars Volta album. Mm -hmm. And I remember just from my own perspective, I didn't have, you, you say you guys weren't well versed in music at that time. So you go back to like little me in 2003 that listens to what at that time? Um, I, I what Incubus, Lincoln Park, I have to drive in, you know, which we talked mm -hmm. about and how I was talking about how like relationship of command blew my mind and made me uncomfortable in a good way, you know, the way the way that music should make you feel. And I remember like at the drive in was around for like five minutes as far as like my recollection goes so like you know obviously it's a band that had a very long rich history that went back way further than that but if you're a kid that buys cds at target you don't know any of that you just you just buy the record mm -hmm. and you listen to it but i remember hearing online because i had just started getting online at that time when they're like yeah at the drive-in broke up and i was like oh man that sucks like being really really bummed out with the idea of like man this was like this really cool neat original record and i want to hear more I want to hear more of this type of thing. So by the time this album came out and I found out about it, 
you know, I did buy this one at Target as well. That's a shame. That Target is still there, but it doesn't sell CDs anymore, I don't think. So now I just go there and buy, like, you know, laundry detergent and <laughs> really boring things. But uh, I remember getting this album, and I was, like, really, really excited because it was the same vocalist, and I loved his voice. I had sort of fallen in love with it. And I put this thing in and drove home, you know, and I think it was, um, I got somewhere in the middle of like intertactic ESP. Hey guys, it's future Dan again. The word is pronounced inertiatic, not, not whatever I just said. Okay. Thanks. Bye. And, um, I was like, I don't know. Like if, if relationship of command blew my mind, can you imagine the effect that this had? It was like. And I don't think I necessarily liked it when I heard it because I didn't understand it. You mm -hmm. know, I didn't have any, I had no reference at all. It, I mean, it, it certainly is like rock music. It is rock music, but it wasn't rock music as I'd heard it, as I'd only heard like radio rock. And I had only heard, you know, stuff with just your very strict like verse, chorus, verse. I'd never heard the term progressive at that point. I'd never heard anything like that. And so when I listened to this, I remember the first thing I thought was, well, this is this doesn't sound like I have to drive in, and I remember like for a while there because I bought the Sparta record that came out around the same time, and I was like, this sounds more like I have to drive in, you know, than Mars Volta does. But I remember just being really happy that I had a record. You know, some of the things I've talked about on previous episodes was this whole being the music guy in my group of people or my in my social circle, and so even though I didn't necessarily get this record. I knew that my friends at school would not get it either, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? And so it was sort of this way of, it was like my first like snobby uh, experience. Yeah, not not every single story that I tell on this show makes me look cool. Mm -hmm. um, so like, it, I was like kind of a snob about it because like, I'm, like, I'm like, oh, you think that what you're listening to is really cool? You should check this out. And so I would put this record on and people would just like sort of, sit there and vibe to it get like three or four minutes in and they're like i don't I, I just don't know what's going on and then hand it back to me um and i'm like oh well you see uh this is a here's a word i read on the internet yesterday this is like progressive music this is <laughs> this is like really um it's on another level you know yeah well, what level is that i don't know what level it is yet but when i figure it out uh i'll be sure to tell you guys you know mm -hmm. <laughs> and um so I remember, uh, and this is where the sleep thing comes in, is I would take I would take this album home and I would listen to it while I was like going to bed. Just put it in the CD player, lay back, and and sort of just take it all in. This was one of the first experiences I had where I could listen to a record, I could hear how it sounded, and sort of visualize mm -hmm. just whatever comes into your mind based on those sounds. And I think that is next to just taking drugs while listening to it. <laughs> you know, I think that's as that's as in tune as I could get. You know, with yeah. the visuals on this. And even at that time, I had no idea that it was like a concept record telling the story of a friend and their journey. And so when I found all that out a few years later, it it, it totally made sense. But I was like, oh my god, how stupid was I that I wasn't even able to pick up on that? <laughs> it is a fucked up story. It is so fucked up. Like the 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 story of this record, like the 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 whole storyline, the short story or whatever. Mm -hmm. Friend uh, ODs goes into a coma, comes out of the coma years later, and then kills himself. Mm -hmm. That's like the gist of it. 
but the actual like fever dream style uh journey he takes um there's some there's some interesting things we can dig into it but like there's some interesting stuff there that ties into later events of the band mm-hmm. that kind of makes sense now with all that's come out about it but but it's a messed up story like it's it's uh it's gnarly and uh, i i very much remember falling asleep to this record too because i'd be in the bed in the back of the van the record's playing on the all night drive so there was you know parts i would i would wait for there's parts that uh like televators uh, that comes on like it's it's night night time man that song is so beautiful anyways we can dig through it but um i have sleep ties to that as well which is also weird because that whole story is based on his experiences in the coma asleep right uh going through basically a a world that he created and having to experience that world he created before he dies and it's uh it's crazy and the other thing about this record is how in the hell did this record get made the way it did (laughs) how did a band that was just starting to blow up end up doing a record with rick rubin with flea on most of the bass yeah and the album cover designed by the dude who did dark side of the moon how in the hell did that happen and then you go on tour almost immediately arenas with the chili peppers yeah these are all things that circle around that record how in the hell did that happen you know like it's i don't i don't understand it doesn't make sense to me how that happened that soon maybe like third record but this first record you know first full length no idea how that came to be yeah i mean do you think that it might have had something to do with just how because i mean if you go back and you look at the at the drive-in record you know and how much push that got because they were getting pushed really hard to be you know the next big thing Mm -hmm. like the the next big revolution in rock music and i wonder if it was just them being for a little while before the band broke up being on that sort of level that major label you know working with big time producers already just sort of it's almost like they made all the right friends very very critical space of time you know yeah i know they were living in los angeles and and having these lavish parties and stuff with a lot of industry types back then just from talking to members of the band like about these things where you know it was just crazy who was showing up to these things um but it's also maybe as i'm saying it a lot of bands get that shot on a major label with a huge producer and then get written off and dropped yeah this one just worked it just happened to work but in that budget like using storm who did dark side of the moon like i wonder how much that and that record cover is incredible oh yeah the whole artwork layout for that record is insane you know the head with the the like going into the water with yeah. all the like uh what is it uh not seaweed but like it's something else like these plants growing in the water out of the back of his head and then the gold head on the on the platter yeah which is the light and again the light the the beam of light like dark side of the moon the beam of light like it's all it's all reminiscent of that i had not heard dark side of the moon yet but when i heard this record so these are things I discovered later, like I said, with, with discovering these other influences. Even the artwork is reminiscent of, you know, that's like uh, surrealist kind of stuff. Um, anyway, a lot of cool stuff. There. No, I'm with you because, like, it is weird. Being a music reviewer, you do a lot of guesswork. 
right? Like you, mm-hmm. you try to figure out like how did this, re- you know, you ask the question yourself, how did this record get made the way that it did? You know, how how did how did they get all of this stuff? And it, it always just reinforces the fact that so much of my guesswork and so much of my hunch work is completely wrong. Because on paper, this record should never have been released. Or if it had been released, it would have been heavily changed. Mm-hmm. You know, to be something that was much more easily marketable. Because mm-hmm. I can't remember hearing any of these songs on radio at the time. No. Because what song off this album is going to go on the radio? What's even the closest one? Everything's over four minutes, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. besides like the little like minute and a half sort of interludes. Yeah. Um. So you don't have that three and a half minute radio single. Yeah, there's no one arm scissor on there. It's it's uh, and I rarely heard that on the yeah. radio. But you know. Maybe K Rock would pick up something from it, but uh, you know, I don't think they had blown up to the point of that until much later. Yeah, um, Drunk Ship of Lanterns. I think I think they made a cut version of that. I could be wrong about that, but I, I remember mm. hearing that on like a satellite radio, which is a whole other story of how I had a satellite radio. It, it was for the car, and my dad couldn't figure out how to get it to work, so I just like took it inside and like ran the wire like from my bedroom window <laughs> you know <laughs> and then I, I literally would just sit there at night because it was a display right so you could you could literally just lay there at night and listen to satellite radio and mm-hmm. see what everything was on uh which was really cool to me at the time because i was so used to traditional radio where i had to figure out over time and repeat listens what actual songs were and <laughs> who was playing them and what records they were on or you know like that sort of thing um but that's a that's a whole different story for a different episode. But the thing that really stuck out to me with this was that sometimes the coolest things that we have are things that nobody asked for. You know what I mean? Like nobody nobody asked for this record. Nobody was like, you know, it'd be really cool if you took the guitar player and the singer of At the Drive In, and uh, you had them make a modern, you know. It, not that it sounds like Pink Floyd, but like a Pink Floyd-ish type of record. We're even going to get the artist that did Dark Side of the Moon. We're going to have him do it. But somebody at some point thought that. Like, do you, do you wonder if it was just them sort of pushing for those things? Like, I'm not sure at that at that major level how much input the band themselves had on the creative process. But with this record, I would assume they had almost somewhere close to 99% mm-hmm. c- control over, you know, cause you hear stories from bands where they're like, Oh, I don't know anything about the liner notes or the layout or anything, you know, <laughs> yeah. the label, the label just, they sent that off to wherever and, and they came back with this. Yeah. I think they had, I think they had a good spot to negotiate with. Cause if they were coming off the, at the drive-in, uh, they had to drive in fame and and machine like i think they could have done whatever they want i think jim same thing like with wiretap scars like he he uh came out and did exactly what he wanted to do as well and they had yeah. good success from that as well but it was just like a it just overshadowed when that mars volts record came out because it it went a different direction and it got a lot more proggy and a lot more um you know any anytime you have a story behind something or like a uh something to tie it together like coheed's so successful with that because they have a, a you know a story behind all of it and people are interested in it versus uh just more rock songs 
you know, right. where it's just this is this is a straight rock record and it's badass and it was, but um, this one had more to it, more substance as far as um, they also had. This is something to talk about a lot too. Is they're one of the last bands that really had the mystique behind them. Like the internet was still coming around. They could go out with the Chili Peppers, not be seen, not be heard, not be, you know, they just show up on stage. No one knew anything really about them. There's all these rumors. They're on drugs and they're doing all this stuff like. <laughs> right. Uh, and they had that mystique still like like Led Zeppelin did. Like, you, you know, you you knew what they told you, but that's it. You didn't have like now Cedric's posting all kinds of goofy videos and like things with his kids and there's no mystique left whatsoever. Right. Where uh, Omar kind of hangs in the shadows still. Um, but, and then even jumping off of that, like being the, the, like the last of the, like the rock star style, you know, mystique, this record was plagued by like death. And, you know, when, when Jeremy died and then, uh, you know, that whole band, like, like Ike Owens passed away as well. Like there, this several members passed away. You know, uh, they traded lineups so many times. You know, they get a new drummer in and and basically go in the back, start you know jamming for 20 minutes, and basically said, uh, "Okay, that's how it starts. That's how it ends. Let's see what happens." And just go out oh, there man. and play three songs for an hour and a half. Oof. You know, that's just how it worked, and uh, it was super interesting. But yeah, with this record, you know, that was this was the beginning of that. You know. There's a 12-minute song on there. You know, yeah. In, in in 2000, did it come out 2003? 2003. Yep. Yeah. It was. There's a 12-minute song on there, and it's not Tool. You know, like it's uh, that right there shows they had a lot of creative control. For yeah. You know. But I yeah. think same time as they were. I mean, what? It was on Universal. It was on. Uh, yes, it was on Universal. Okay, because Universal signed Hatebreed even. Right. Then, like they were just experiment, see what sticks. And Hatebreed had huge success too on there, but uh, yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think they had a lot of a lot of creative control. Yeah. It's a long-winded way of getting to that. <laughs> no, you're good, man. That's what we do here. Um, yeah. Two podcasters. This is what you're gonna get. Yeah, a lot gonna, of talking. You're gonna get like you're gonna get a guy talking for 15 minutes, and the other guy being like, "Yep," and then the other guy's gonna start going for 15 minutes, and then the other <laughs> the other guy's gonna be like, "Yep, yep, uh-huh. sounds about right." Um, Noted. <laughs> but uh, another thing that we do on this podcast are stories, and with this record having a story, uh, and I'm going to be the first one to admit, um, I'm not as familiar with the actual story as it sounds like you are. Is there anything about that story? I'm not telling you, like, tell the story of this album yeah. from beginning to end, and don't mess up, because I'll know, and we'll have to start over, or anything like that. Uh, but just, um, if you could run me through uh, the, the stupid man's version of the story, because I know that yeah, it's a story about their friend. He goes to a he he goes into a coma world basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he comes back into the real world, and uh, I guess was dissatisfied with it. Yeah, it's uh, it. I'll give you the version that I know that's that that is, uh, and I may butcher it as well. Sorry to fans of the band that are listening that know more than me, and I will not claim to know everything about this situation. But my my understanding of the story is is based on a friend of theirs that had OD'd, went into a coma, came out of it, killed himself. The short story, uh, I think the character's name is Serpentaxed, and uh, he basically 
overdoses on method uh, uh, morphine, goes into a coma. But he was he was super depressed beforehand, writing all these short stories and about this world, and basically all these like uh, I don't, it would be like a graphic novel, but it's just you know short stories about all these characters and these different people and uh, to kind of get out of his own head. He would go when he went into the coma. The story goes that he basically had his punishment uh, is to live through this. This sounds so weird. Is to live through all these worlds and stories that he wrote, and basically, it's super sci-fi-ish. Like he go there's these uh, inertiatic ESP. The ESP I forget what it stands for, but it's basically like a light road that connects all these stages and worlds together and you travel along them like time travel in this like cocoon so he he goes to this world there's these um the um tremulants so the tremulant ep right this this gets to something i was going to talk about too these tremulants are like little like flea or uh like parasite parasitic kind of things that are like taking over and like basically pushing him along this mission and there's this leper colony that he created and they're pissed at him because he he created them and they know he created them but he mm. created them as lepers so it's like fuck you like we're gonna put you through hell so right. he goes along this light bridge basically in this cocoon that he has to then break out of when he gets there um and experience all these different stages of it's not like dante's inferno or like event horizon or um it's kind of similar to the coheed story with the i forget the the light bars that connect the worlds together but you know at one point he's stapled to the actual apparatus and has to rip himself out of it um you know there's people gouging their own eyes out to kill themselves like it's it's fucked up but um so he's going through all these different states he comes out of the coma goes back in and then you know it's that's kind of the 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 gist of it he has to go through all these different tests basically and go through these things he created because these people had to go through it after being created by him like a god thing and then in the end wakes up and kills himself because of all of it um one big reason that's come to light from cedric and and omar's relationship dissolving because of cedric's involvement in scientology Mm -hmm. Scientology is based on, and I may butcher this as well with the names, but I forget the guy's name. L. Ron uh, Hubbard? Nope, nope, not him. The guy, the the god that put these thetans into volcanoes. These things that go in, like these little bodies that go inside you into a volcano and blew it up. Uh, and then they inhabit your body. Like tremulants. Okay. Uh there's a lot of like Scientology kind of things in here. I don't know how recently after that record or during that record, Cedric got into Scientology, but there are some similar, and I'm not sure if he even wrote the story or if it was Omar who wrote the story, but the, the, the tremulants and the Thetans are very similar. You know, you're trying to get these things out of you and, and, you know, um, to be clear, there's just a lot of similarities there. Hmm. Um, so that was an interesting thing to discover as well. Um, finding out, you know, cause he is fairly, uh, 
outspoken against Scientology after his wife's situation um, in the Danny Masterson stuff from that 70s show, which we were talking about with the couch. Yeah. Um, anyways, so that's kind of the gist of the story. It's just like this this trial. He has to, these continuous trials he has to go through on this journey that he created. And uh, super, super weird, like, yeah, fever dreamish, kind of like surreal stuff into like horrible stuff into like, okay, I could understand that very strange so that's kind of a, a weird abridged version but that's kind of the story and, and you know without all the details so i think it is interesting how this is and this is one of the first albums we've talked about that already had a life story baked into it you know or mm -hmm. it maybe a fictional story i know the lines are kind of blurred here because yes you have this sci-fi novel or this sci-fi collection of stories that is covering nah, i want to say covering up but it's in parallel to real or imagined journey that a person in a coma has right because you don't it's not like you really know what somebody in a coma is experiencing uh, but i think this is one of the most creative ways that it has been expressed and so it's cool that you have a relatable story because if you strip away all the sci-fi elements you have the life journey that most humans have where we go from place to place we have all of these various experiences we we create problems and then we have to deal with them later and so i think that's a really interesting parallel but i also appreciate not having to necessarily apply my own life story or life lessons to this record as we typically do because it's already there for you there's a mountain of depth to the lyrics on this album to the story that goes with it and the music itself is another mountain of depth right there with it i agree it's like when when uh you know you create these problems throughout your life you create you create these situations and you think you're you're past them or or uh you know you shove things under the rug or things like that and then eventually they come back to you whether it's you know your life flashing before your eyes at the end or going into a coma going into uh some kind of unconscious state and thinking about these things and it's basically a it's basically the like the personified version of your internal uh your conscience basically um coming out in story form you know or in in a fever dream or uh you know having these nightmares that keep reoccurring because you haven't worked through the situation or made amends um you know there's karma in there there's 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 all kinds of of interesting tidbits that would that would fall along those lines i feel yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And I think that this record is definitely one of my first experiences dealing with something that is so dense, I guess, mm -hmm. so to speak. I don't mean dense in the derogatory sense, but just dense in that you can get as much out of it as you're willing to put in, you know, w what you want to learn, how deep you actually want to go with the story element or what parallels that you want to draw with your own life and it's a hard record to talk about because a lot of the time you know i will connect with lyrics on a record but i even talked about this in the at in the at the drive-in episode about how like some there's something about this particular group of guys <laughs> where mm -hmm. they write lyrics that are so deeply personal to them and in this case, not only is it something that's deeply personal to them, 
but is also this like handcrafted, <laughs> you know, epic tale that they want you to dig into, that they want you to pull that depth out of it. And I think that's where that rock star energy or that rock star persona that you were talking about, that mystery, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's like, nope, we're not going to tell you anything. This is what we have for you. You need to dig in. You need to pay attention. And it totally flies in the face to go back to what we were talking about originally about like how did this record get made? And it totally flies in the face of what mainstream music was at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because in the early 2000s, CD sales are still a thing, you know, and record labels were that, that was whenever you started really seeing record labels pushing out the most formulaic music that they could that they could push out because they knew people were going to buy it. It didn't require a lot of brain power. It's not not even to say that, like, oh, if you like formulaic rock that you don't have brain power. But what I'm saying is just that. They didn't want you to have to, labels and bands at that time, some bands, didn't want you to have to work for it. Mm -hmm. You know, didn't want you to have to, you know, um, to dig in and, and spend all this time reading lyrics or whatever. I sat there late at night thumbing through the pages of, just page after page of amazing artwork, very mysterious lyrics, very terrifying ideas, you know, like to sort of tie the, you know, because we're talking about like, I think it was uh, the apparatus must be unearthed with this idea of like people screaming in agony and ripping their eyes out and all of mm -hmm. this stuff. It's like this vision of hell. And like, I'm a kid that bought this CD at Target, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, thinking that like, hey, is this going to rock or is it not going to rock? Having that experience and realizing that, oh my God, what is actually possible with this medium is essentially limitless mm -hmm. the fact that a band can create an image in my head based on a sound and if i'm having trouble figuring out what the image is they provided us pages and pages of complimentary images mm -hmm. <laughs> for for us to to sort of thumb through and digest and dissect and and try to tie it into what the lyrical themes are even throughout all of that i was so dumb that I wasn't even able to pick the actual narrative out of it. I could see the, I could see sort of the images, and I could hear, I could visualize the emotions that I heard from the actual music, but I was never able to tie it together in a real way. And it's funny because anytime I've talked, to, I think I've talked about Mars Volta a couple of times since I started podcasting, and I think every single time the person that I'm talking to is like, how did you not get that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or how did you not see that? Or have you, have you ever read anything that these guys have said, <laughs> you know, in, <laughs> in interviews and stuff. And, um, in a certain sense, yeah, it's a downside that maybe I had a little bit of a misinformed understanding of the record, but it's also a benefit because I like mysterious records like that basically force you to look inward because you're not handed a cheat sheet mm -hmm. you know yeah so yeah i don't i don't even know where i was going with all that but that's just a huge collection of my feelings uh about this record and how it continues to sort of throw me for a loop at times but then mm -hmm. other times you know with the context that i have i can sort of go back and reapply that new thing i learned to it and it's a little piece of that puzzle kind of snaps in there yeah well, you, 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 I'll put it to you this way: like the, have you ever watched a like a foreign film with no subtitles in a different language? Oh yeah, 
you still get the story. You mm-hmm. still get it. You still pick up on things because all stories come from human the human mind. Like it's not AI creating it. So it's a human experience. So you can pick up all these little cues. So when Mars Volta hands you this record, which has French, Spanish, Portuguese, English, all on it, describing in the lyrics certain apparatuses, certain um, certain characters and titles in a story you've never heard, is going to throw you to a confusing fucking deal. You know, like the t- the the beginning track is is French for sound mm-hmm. of light, like or sound and light, like. The ESP I was talking about, ecto. I looked this one up. Ecto, ectopic shape shifting penance propulsion. <laughs> basically, you're riding on your own fucking uh, penance train, like making up for or or uh, giving pieces of yourself, you know, t- to travel to this thing and and give it up, give it up, give it up. Anyways, with them being, uh, you know, uh, Cedric and Omar using, you know, they use a lot of of spanish language like but to use these other ones or blending them together is confusing and then but yeah the characters and things like tremulance you know tremulance were you know um like the 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 character a serpent taxed like that's the character's name like there's all these they seem like really obscure lyrics but they're really not once you know the story like then you can start kind of reading through it but when you're handed that as a human being you're going to draw your own story from it. You're going to draw your own imagination. Uh, your imagination will run wild. And the music will cover that, you know, or, or color that. And I think that's what happened with this record in a big way is everyone just went in their own nightmare. Um, right. Through the imagery that we could pick out before we dug into it the rest of the way. You know, just surface level. There's enough imagery and aesthetic and, and, uh, musical prowess that just takes you there you know it'll get you up and dance it'll put you down it'll make you sleep it'll make you sad you know it'll drive you crazy like there's only a a few there's like one solo on this record that actually makes sense in a musical way which really stands out because none of the others do it's like uh almost being tone deaf like um there's all sorts of like little if you if you analyze it in like a psychological way, there's a lot of torture on this record um, to the trained ear. There's a lot yeah. of bucking against the trend, a lot of bucking against the rules, which comes from that jazz background and, and all that stuff where there are no rules. Um, just playing random notes, but they're calculated at the same time. That kind of stuff um, really sets a tone and uh, um the groundwork for something really <clears throat> at the time fairly groundbreaking to the untrained ear like i was saying earlier how i discovered that it really wasn't as original as i thought after hearing the rest of these influences but at the time it was like these guys are from outer space right you know? yeah did you ever play the uh did you ever play the computer game mist okay mist i never got past the first like scene yeah i never knew how to get out of it and i just kind of wander like there was or with my mouse i was kind of like, like moving the uh, the focus to whatever there's all this like i i want to say if i remember right like a dark kind of maybe forest or something to where i was in this like scene and i could just kind of look around but i never knew how to get out of that and i would just not play it anymore 
and then I'll yeah. get in again, again. I was like, this sucks, and I'd get out of there. That was my experience with Mist. But yes, I've 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 tried to play it. So Mist is a lot like this record, you know. Okay. Um, that's the same kind of feeling because I dude, I never got anywhere in Mist. Like, come on, uh, yeah, you get in the like, and I remember like looking at the store, you know, looking at it, looking at this, and I was like, oh my god, this stuff looks photorealistic. So I finally get a copy of Mist, mm-hmm. and I put it in the computer, and like. You're like okay, but it's just you're just like moving through pictures, almost like a like a like a slideshow, but it's this giant island uh, that you have to explore, and then you start realizing that there's all these worlds that are connected by books. So like you go into the library and you click on one of the books, and there's a guy that comes on there, and he starts telling you the story about how it's like two sons, one's a good son, one's a bad son, and they each live in different realms, and the only way to get to the other realms is through these books, and how he's stranded there. But what's interesting about the, the parallel that I sort of pull from this album and Mist is that it is literally, this album literally is just being dropped into a world like that that's full of like little levers to press, or levers to pull and buttons to press and puzzles to solve. But like you would, you'd, you'd flip a switch somewhere in the game and then you would have no idea what effect it had, <laughs> you know, whenever mm-hmm. you went back. Uh, and that's largely how I felt about this album for a very long time, where it was like, I know this is great. And the people that talk about it are like, oh, this is great. Uh, you know, you know, I mean, Mist won like all these Game of the Year awards and, <laughs> you know, all, all of this mm-hmm. stuff. And I remember just being like, I don't get it, but it's so beautiful just to look at. Yeah. You know, and I largely feel the same way. Nobody asked for my opinion on this record, but my opinion is that it is one of the most profoundly confusing <laughs> experiences I've ever had with an emphasis on the profound because I know that there's greatness there. It just took me well over a decade, almost two decades now to find it. Mm-hmm. It's a sonic escape room is what it is. It's like a, you can you there's you get in there and then you want to find the path that everyone else before you has found to f- figure it out. And it's it's a it's just like an escape, an escape room. It it's it's exactly like that where um, the answer's here, but you got to try all these different things, you gotta, you know, all these different scenarios. Um, yeah, it's a it's very very interesting uh, output for sure for a first record even. Like it's it's a huge a huge step from that from relationship command to. Uh, which of course it was them, but it was a totally different band. Then Tremulant EP, which is okay, and then all of a sudden, bam! Here's this opus. Yeah. And then try to top that. Francis the Mute didn't do it. Nothing else did it. Right. <laughs> to this day, they sure. that was it. Like it that was the the monumental opus was was uh, last. Before I uh, before I close up shop here, is there anything about this record that you wanted to talk about that? All my ramblings didn't give you a chance to. Mm, Televators. That song, Televators, is my favorite song on the record. And it is... There's something about that... The melody in it, the the dynamics, because it's just building and building and building. And it's got that, like... Uh, that super... Uh, it's You know, it starts with the nature sounds... And then it goes through that really hollowed out guitar, like acoustic guitar, upright bass, 
that was played by the dude from Nine Inch Nails. Like Flea did not play on that song. Uh, dude, dudes like the the MP for Saint Vincent and Beck and shit. Like the people that should mm-hmm. not have been on that record. It right. continues with this, and but that that upright bass and the lyrics, the way they're sung, like the phrasing, like he's finishing lines on the next phrase. Mm-hmm. But it can and it's one of the few spots on that record where the melody resolves itself. So it's super comforting because it's like this beautiful, this little beautiful moment on a record full of chaos. And then they add in those those bongos uh in there and it gives that feel again, like that comfortable feeling. There's like a real, like a like a, a manageable rhythm, like everything. It's just like this lull in the record. But the lull in the record is the most beautiful part. It's super vulnerable. You know. Yeah. Uh you should have seen the curse that flew right by you. Like uh, you know, this chalk outline will circle the city, like it's still it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And he's whispering and so like the, you know, and, and then that fucking high voice. You know, it's it's and then there's parts in this record that it's like Bjork was guesting on it, but where he's hitting notes, there's this like, what in the hell? You know, like it's 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 just like a uh, I don't know what it is. It's like this little gem in the middle of the record that's already great. But it's just like, wow, what did where did that come from? You know, it's got that just that like, uh, man, almost like salsa vibe to it. But it's like this heartbreaking cry of anguish i don't know i really think they nailed it on that song because i fucking love that song um yeah televators so good they they killed it uh with this i mean especially even it's funny one of the things that i talked about in the at the drive-in episode was we talked about how like cedric bixler has a good voice but he doesn't use the good parts of his voice because on that record it's almost like he was making a statement on relationship of man it was just like go hard or go home <laughs> you know pretty mm-hmm. much pretty much for the whole thing and then you go to this record and i remember being very very shocked at like oh my god like no 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 no, no. this isn't a guy that mostly just yells but can occasionally sing melodically this guy is an absolute virtuoso, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. on vocals to the point where I just never, I, I, I hadn't, I'm always shocked even to this day with as many records as I've listened to with as many albums as, as I have and, and all of that. I'm always super, super shocked when you do something on a record and I've heard your other material and you've never done anything even close, <laughs> you know, before, mm-hmm. before that moment, like, um, it it always sort of blows me away all of the kind sort of hidden talents that people actually have, mm-hmm. and this yeah. is one of the one of the best examples of that uh, I've ever heard. I think drunk ship drunk ship of lanterns is another one where he in the story he's ba- he's basically like he either comes to or he lands in this spot stapled to this apparatus he's flying through, and to this place where just there's all these fucking uh ships going all over the place and like rocking everything and he literally rips himself off the staples from the 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 movement of these of these things and just like this chaotic scene and but that part and this ties to both the first version we had with no effects on it and uh the new one 
or the real one, but there's that breakdown and then it comes back. And then all of a sudden it comes in. And you're just like, yes, this is fucking awesome. And then he Cedric comes in with the Bjork vocals. Yeah. Yeah. You could hear Bjork doing that. No problem. And one of the greatest vocalists of all time. And he just, it sounds exactly like Bjork and a man sounding. Yeah. Like it's crazy. And it took me a long time to realize how fucking high that actually is that he's going there. And it's, it's otherworldly. And uh, there's a few people that can do that out there and a few people that can do that live. And I have seen him do that live and it, he hits it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. There's some really good moments on that. I mean, the whole record as I won't say the record as a whole is all good because there's a few songs I really don't like on there. And but as in general, that record is great. And those moments are really fascinating. And the story is crazy. And the whole how the fuck did this get made? And where did they get these people is even more uh, more mystery to the record and without seeing the financials and who was managing them at the time. Um, there's just everything about it shouldn't have worked. It shouldn't have been that good. And it just happened. And I'm grateful for it. because it, I've listened to it a lot. It got me through an entire U.S. tour pretty much. Uh, with different people sleeping in the trough of our van to listen to it at night. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I love uh, I love this record quite a bit, even though I have to admit I don't understand it all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny that even all these years later, like I've listened to I've listened to ridiculous stuff, stuff even more ridiculous than this. Like you were saying, like with the with the all the different influences that they sort of bring into the table. If you listen to those influences, you're like, oh, okay, I I see exactly where they got this, or you mm-hmm. know. Uh, I see where this element came from, or I see why they tried this, or, you know. But there are still times, like I was listening to it today when I was driving back from a buddy of mine's house, because uh, I was picking up shelving units, uh, that at some point I'll actually have shelves set up with my CDs on display and all that. But I was listening to this record, and still, I think it was, um, it wasn't Televators, because I like Televators quite a bit. Um, and I, I hate trying to, like, say the names of these songs because I always say them wrong. At the beginning of the episode, I said inertiatic ESP. Inertiatic. Yeah, mm-hmm. right? Like, come on. Uh, that's just You're a, in the that's medical a, field, damn it. Come on. I, come on, man. I You know what? I, I fixed I fixed tubing inside of machines, okay? Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have to have uh, ESP for that. <laughs> but I remember driving, listening to this record, and it, the song that threw me for a loop the most, I think, was the start off of uh, Roulette Dares. Mm-hmm. Roulette dares, um, just because the this record starts off relatively high energy, like the first two songs or so, and I usually listen to my music pretty loud, and I thought I might be losing my hearing uh, or something because I remember that song sort of came in like real quiet. I went to turn the stereo up in the van, and then bam, he hits me with the exoskeleton, like because I was like, oh no, okay. It's just a full dynamic range. The quiet parts are quiet, and the loud parts are going to be loud. And this is a record where you really don't want to play around with that dynamic with your volume knob because you're going to get blasted when you don't expect to get blasted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to get lulled to sleep if you're not being careful. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, that's uh, it's definitely a record that will continue to surprise me, uh, even even as time goes on. Maybe in like maybe in like five years, I'm gonna sit down and do an episode and be like, "All right, guys, I get it now." And then you know I'll have a whole long episode about that. But uh, <laughs> but Dewey, thanks thanks so much, man, for talking about this record with me. Um, sure. I I'll, I'll admit, at first, whenever you're like, "Hey, let's do D Last," I was kind of like. Maybe something else though, right? Like I was thinking that because I was like, he's gonna come in, <laughs> he's gonna come in real hot, knowing a lot. So this is a record that I'm like deeply insecure about mm-hmm. uh, because I like it, but a lot of the time there's never a whole lot more for me to say than I like it. It's super proggy and super weird, and there's a story and all that. But then everybody that I talk to is all like, "Oh no, this is like, uh, you know, you didn't you didn't know about this." You didn't mm-hmm. know about the story. You didn't know the exact circumstances, you know, leading up to it. And I'm always like, "Oh, cool. Well, uh, ten minute episode. Let's go." But I appreciate you being gracious with my uh, trying to figure it out in real time uh, while while discussing it. Of course, it's, it gets good to be out of your comfort zone, especially in podcasting. Oh yeah, get too comfortable. It shows. You get you sure. get out of your comfort zone. Uh, it's good for you. It keeps it interesting. Sometimes it shuts you down. But you pull through. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. Good stuff, my friend. Did you guys catch all that? Sci-fi, interdimensional travel, coma dreams, storytelling. You can find all of it in Deloused in the Comatorium by the Mars Volta. And guys, if you want to hear more from Dewey, Dewey has a podcast called Pure Pleasure, and it is incredible. Every week, Dewey has a guest, either a musician or somebody from the music industry or a podcaster. He even had me on there. Thank you very much for that. And trust me, guys, Dewey is able to talk to people in a way that is more real and more candid than what you're going to get on a lot of podcast interviews. So if you've never listened to Pure Pleasure before, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes of this episode for you guys to check out what Dewey's doing over there. And if you want to know what I'm doing, I'll have links to all of my socials. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the things. But the main place that I hang out is my Discord server. I'll have a link to that as well. And I hope to see you guys on there. We we have a lot of fun chats on there. But if I don't see you on there, that's totally fine because I will see you here next week. be the most pure example of that uh that that i've that i've sort of talked about before and sorry i completely lost my train of thought this is real life uh (laughs) (laughs) no i had this like really profound thought and then i just couldn't get it out um without without sounding totally stupid well there we go (laughs) yeah i know it's like it's a it's a (laughs) It's like a life journey that we all have that we all have because we have it. Because we're alive. Because we're alive. Do you have a pulse? I have a pulse too. That's relatable. Shit. Last time. That's interesting. Uh, I've said that like 12 times. That's really interesting. Tell me more about that. Hey, good job, dude. All right. Yeah, hey, man. You you really did it, and I'm proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thanks, Dan. Hey. We'll see you uh, later.